0: Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken.
1: Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning for a talk about something that is close to each one of us in many different ways. Um, we have Brother Edsel Burge joining us from <laughs> Pennsylvania. And he's going to be sharing on the economics of the kingdom of God. So before we get started, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We praise your name for your goodness and your patience with us. We thank you that we are gathered here with these brothers from all over the globe to learn truth, to hear a word from you. We pray that you would be with brother Edsel this morning as he shares what you've laid on his heart. I pray that it would be edifying to each one of us. Prepare our hearts for to receive the truth and to learn from it and to make changes in our lives according to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Pray that your spirit would be present this morning and each one of our um, hearts and with brother Edsel as he shares. Give him clarity of thought. And I pray that your name would be glorified in everything that is said. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. After Brother, brother it's-
0: and, um, uh, I hope to uh, share uh, with you this morning in 45 minutes, a topic that normally I take um, four sessions in, uh, the economics of the kingdom of God. And I guess first thing I should do is define what we mean by economics and um just uh a general uh let's say schoolboy kind of definition um is economics concerns itself with the production, distribution, and consumption of goods and services, and so we're talking about something here that's very material uh and but like in every part uh, every uh aspect of our life, um the kingdom of God impinges upon this um it uh has something to say about. How we conduct our economic lives and how we interact with people in in that realm because it's a very it is a very important way in which we we uh, interact. I would say many of us, for example, have a tendency to define ourselves uh by our work uh what do we do um, you know often that is a topic of conversation well what's your what's your work what do you do and that helps to define us um, and so on today i'm going to um, look at uh first of all economics under the old testament covenant and then i want to uh move from there and look at uh the uh, jesus's teaching on economics and then i want to look at the uh new testament the early churches uh the new testament churches practice of uh, the um, principles of uh the economics of the kingdom of god and i um want to underline basic principles that I go across uh, across the uh, the whole thing whether it 's in the Old Testament or whether it's in what Jesus is talking about and whether it's uh whether it's how the uh, uh, first church the early church defined or actually worked it out uh, and uh, now there are different situations and different contexts and so on like that but uh, i find these four principles uh, being pretty uh, universal uh, when we talk about the economics of the kingdom of God. First of all, is the idea of equality, economic equality. And then the idea of every man uh, working for his own living, an open hand to the poor and the redistri- redistribution of wealth. Those four points, equality, every man working for his own living, an open hand to the poor and redistribution of wealth. OK, now let's then uh just move right in and look at the economics of the under the old covenant. Uh, you know, when in the Garden of Eden, when God made uh Adam and Eve, he gave them a commission. He gave them a, t- a task. He said that they were to be fruitful and to multiply and they were to exercise dominion over the earth. Uh, later on, he uh, gave them, uh, and uh, a little shortly after that, he gave, uh, put, placed them in a garden and he said that they were to tend that garden. So already we see that there's work to be done, even in the, in the perfection of the, of the first creation before sin entered into the world, uh, there is is um uh, is uh an economic system being placed in uh, being put in place and of course uh, that continues on even after the fall but of course our our economic understanding is also marred our our, our pursuit uh, our economic pursuits are marred by the sin that comes into the world through the fall um and then, if we go to the old, uh, the Ten Commandments, which is kind of a summation of the ethical uh, aspects of of God's covenant with Israel that Moses uh, that God gave through Moses, there are two commandments that actually have to do with economics, and one of them is uh, the commandment "Don't steal," uh, don't take other people's possessions, um, and the other one is "You shall not." covet, okay? Uh, so we have two, uh, you shouldn't, uh, desire or want to covet. And of course, there is talking about, uh, a man's wife, uh, but also is our, the rest of us largely talking about man's, uh, uh, another person's possessions. Now, one of things about coveting, which I think is really interesting when we talk about that, you know, we look at stealing. Well, we know what stealing is, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's an actual taking of something away from somebody when you talk about coveting well what's that well coveting has to do with a desire uh coveting Covening has to do with with wanting something uh and it often leads to it often leads to actions it often leads to um doing some things uh but i think we've had a tendency when we look at the whole idea of coveting uh to in, make it something that's uh, in, entirely interior um, and not uh deal with the aspect of of um of um the the uh more the objective reality of coveting. And so what's it mean to covet? Is it just simply something interior or is it also something you do? And I'd like to suggest to us this morning that it's not it's like any of anything, it's not just simply interior. Um it begins there, uh just as the decision to steal something begins uh, inside you. Uh, it's an interior thing, but then it's worked out and in an action. And I'd like to suggest the same thing with, with company. Uh, but I ha- think we've had a tendency to, to make it very interior and, and, uh, and, you know, justify, um, justify doing some things that maybe we shouldn't be doing, uh, by, by saying, well, you know, in my heart, I don't feel this way. Um, so let's then look at God's provision for Israel. Um, when he uh let when he uh brought them into the promised land after the conquest of Canaan, um, he redistributed the he distributed the land among the tribes. And he did it, he gave an inheritance according to to those who were numbered with them. Uh and so there we have I think the principle of equality. Uh, some of the tribes were larger than others uh some of the territory that they they took was more productive than others, and there seems to be a kind of a rough equality there where the land was divided out according to the size of the tribe and uh and according to to the quality of land that they were given um, and uh He promised them that if they observe if they uh as it says in Leviticus um uh, 25, 17, So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. Leviticus 25 is actually a very, very important chapter when it co- deals with God's, uh, God's, uh, uh, laws, what deals with his uh, rules for how they were to operate economically uh it's 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 a a very key passage for uh their what would how they're supposed to treat each other when it comes to the field of when it comes to the area of economics and um what the consequences of that would be and so I just want to look at that there's also um deuteronomy fifteen is also an important uh passage when we're looking here at uh the old Covenant old testament uh law um one of the things that I noticed, uh, so we have this distribution of the land, and one of the things we have to keep in mind is that until, as, as until like, well, uh, let's say 150 years ago, uh, maybe longer now, maybe we're getting close to 200 years, um, you know, all economies were agriculturally based. Our, our economy, agriculture is an important sector, but it's not, we're not an agriculturally based economy. Um, we're, we used to be an industrially based economy, I'm not sure if we're that anymore. Um, and so on. It's much more mixed than that. I mean, agriculture is an important part, but but before, say, 200 years ago, I, uh, the the uh, agri- the economy was based on agriculture. Most people were, in some ways or another, involved in agriculture. And it was this way in, under the old covenant. And so having land is very important. Uh, and so we see in this parceling out the land that each person has their own land. It's the... The idea is, as one of the uh, prophets say, uh, every man under his own vine and fig tree uh living in peace and unafraid uh that's that's the old covenant idea um and um uh, so um in a sense, if we want to talk about in economic terms, the land is the basic capital, and in a sense God wants the ha each person to have the basic capital they need to provide a living for their their family. But one of the things that we notice is that this gets out of whack. There's a number of reasons why it does. Uh, some people are just better workers and met- better managers than others. Um, there are misfortunes that come around um bad help, maybe not enough sons to help do the farm work and stuff like that. Uh, maybe the person is not that uh, good of a um, uh, is that is not that good of a manager or whatever. Uh, they're, uh, maybe they're slothful and so on. And so you have a tendency for, uh, this idea that God has to get kind of out of balance. And so what we see is a periodic readjustment being put in place so that, again, we're not having the development of, of an agricultural based society in which, uh, a few men really, uh, manage to get a hold of all the capital, all the land. Uh, so every seven years we have uh, on a Sabbath kind of uh, Sabbath. And then every 49 years we have a readjustment. And there are some principles along with this. Um One is that they were not to oppress each other and they were to have a wide open hand to the poor. Um And then we have the law of lending. Once you lend somebody something, um, there was the thing like if you took your man took a man's cloak, you had to bring it back and give it back to him in the evening. I think if anybody actually did this, it would have very uh been a very inconvenient way of loaning something, if you took a person's code for security or whatever. Um I uh you know, most people I have feeling wouldn't be bothered. So uh and then also there's the provision against usury, um of not charging interest, um and so on. Um and then there's the law of gleaning. Uh, if a person had lost this land, uh, and so on, uh, and needed a way to simply provide food for himself, there's the law of gleaning, which they could go into neighboring fields. And the instruction was given that, uh, you were not to, to, uh, harvest the corners and you were not to pick up the drop sheaves, but those were for, Persons to come and glean. So there's the idea of, yes, a, a provision being made, but while well, person has to work. OK, it's not just handed over to them. And then there's the law of redemption. Um, and that is the idea that the land and that was that was based on the premise that the land is not. does not belong to the persons. It's given to them in a sense, loaned to them by God. All the land ultimately belongs to God. And if somebody, because whatever reason, lose possession of the land, um, it was to be returned to them after a period of time. And since if you bought land, what you were actually buying was the use of the land for a period of time. And and eventually it would go back to who, who, uh, who, whose inheritance it was there. And similar to the law of servitude, um, um, you uh, if you were. If uh you could, you could, in a sense, purchase the labor for a period of time of a person who was uh who was then, um you know, in a sense, he was your slave, but it was a temporary uh enslavement. And then we have the idea of the kinsman redeemer, where a kinsman could come, a, a relative of yours could come and it could pay, you know, pay the money back and have the land redeemed or pay the money to have the person released from their servitude and so on. And then we have these years of release, the Sabbath year, which brought to an end, brought to an end the uh, servitude and, uh, then the year of Jubilee where everything was readjusted every, every 49 years, everything was readjusted and we got kind of go back to base one again. Um, now the question is, how much did Israel obey this? Well, we don't actually know. So there's some indication um that they may have made parts and pieces of it at periods of time. It seems like particularly uh during the uh uh years of the ki- of the uh of the um kingdom of Israel that this became um uh this uh was not really uh, practiced very much. In fact one of the things that that uh God had warned them through Samuel is that if you have a king you're going to see this uh this these inequalities arise and in in the land um and that's that is what we had um and the prophets uh weigh in against this particularly against the kind of oppression that arises uh with these inequalities um and uh, i Isaiah talks about uh castigates the rulers and the elite of Israel for eating the plunder of the poor um and Amos talks about for three transgression for four, I will not turn away the punishment and if you look at those, most of those have to do with how uh with the whole film, realm of economics uh oppressing the poor uh adding land to land, and so on like that so um Uh, part of the judgment that comes upon Israel, it's not entirely because idolatry is involved there, immorality is involved there, but the whole, uh, whole, uh, the arise of economic equality, economic oppression is one of the major reasons why God brings judgment upon Israel. Okay, so, uh, that's in, in some kind of the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament, um, uh, provision of, uh, econ- and the whole way the economic system is supposed to work under the old uh, uh, covenant again it's the idea the four principles of equality every man um, working for his own living an open hand to the poor and then the redistribution or readjustment of of wealth so that takes us then to to the uh to the teachings of Jesus and uh, and then also how it was worked out under the under the, um, uh, with the apostles. And I think one of the things we think about when we talk about, about the economics of the kingdom is to, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is the nature of the kingdom of God? And, um, this is, this is how I uh, talk about it. The kingdom is made up of people who acknowledge a king and our king is Jesus. And one of the things I know, will note is that God has always had People under the testament, uh, it was Israel. It was a nation state. It was tied to a particular geographic area, at least after their, um, uh, their coming into the, into the promised land. Uh, and there was from Dan to Beersheba was the land. There was a law written on tables of stone, a civil call, uh, that had a civil code with, uh, persons who enforced the law. And there was a ruler. Now, initially, it was supposed to be God, but Israel rejected that idea for an earthly king. All right. Uh, now, under the, old, uh, under the Old, under the New Testament, we have a spiritual kingdom. Now, when I say we have a spiritual kingdom, I'm not just ta- I'm not saying that it's just simply what's in people's hearts and it's invisible or anything. It's actually visible. Okay, The kingdom of God is visible, but it's not tied to a particular piece of land as it was under the old covenant. You have, and it's not, uh, who belongs to is not determined by, by physical birth as it was under Israel, but by a spiritual birth. Uh, it's God's people who are called out from every tongue, kindred, t- tribe and nation. It's voluntary. Um, the law is written on the heart and the Holy Spirit is the enforcer. The ruler is Jesus. Uh, he's the lamb who as Lamb of God, who has taken away the sins of the world, and He's the Word of God, sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. So when we speak of the economics of the kingdom, we have to keep these uh, realities in mind. So let's look then at Jesus's teaching on economics, and I'm going to do this by basically doing a quick survey of the Gospel of Luke. Um, and the Gospel, one of the themes in the Gospel of Luke, has to do with with uh, uh, the, Jesus's critique of riches and Jesus' critique of the economic system, which has gotten out of whack and oppresses people. And in Luke 1.53, uh, when Mary talks about the fact that what God is doing so, he said he has filled the hungry of good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And so we have this idea that those who have will have it taken away from them and here and those who haven't will be given to it. And wh- why? I mean, that, th- that doesn't quite seem fair, does it? Uh, uh, but what Jesus talked about is that often those who have, um, have it because they've, they've been oppressive or they have ignored the, the principles of the economics of the kingdom of God. And one of the things that we do notice is in, in uh, Luke chapter four, when Jesus is in Nazareth and they open up the, he He's there in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they hand him the scroll, and he opens it up to isaiah and One of the things that um he says is that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor um and he says at that particular point that uh that you know this this prophecy is is being fulfilled here in your hearing one of the other things that we notice in in the gospel Luke uh is the blessings and the woes um and if we go to Luke chapter 6 uh on the sermon on the plain which is not exactly the same as the sermon on the mount there's similar material um there you know uh, Jesus I think is like uh what was like any preacher uh, who uses um, the same material over again and preaches the uh, same sermon a number of different places and times, uh, maybe uh, tweaking it here a bit, uh, making it apply in a, in a particular context and situation here. Uh, and so I think that's important to keep in mind. So in Luke 24:25, 25, uh, Jesus says to them, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you. For, for who are full, for you will hunger. Now, the question is, who are the poor and who are the rich? Um, and, you know, I think that one of the things, just like with covening, I think that this is one of the things that we really like to, um, uh I don't know, uh relativize, and it is relative. I mean, I, it is relative, but I think sometimes we have a tendency to talk about, do relativize it to a point where uh it, it gets uh it really defangs the whole thing. It takes any of the uh any of the oomph out of what Jesus is saying. Um you know I, I one of the things I think about is, you know, in our context, uh what do we mean when we say he's a rich man? Um or what do we mean when we say they're poor? We probably don't mean the same thing that they mean uh let's say uh in in some third world country. Um, you know, in every country they have rich people and they have poor people. Uh, here in America, we don't, we probably don't mean exactly the same thing they do in a third world war, but it doesn't mean anything to us. I do remember, uh, back in the National, uh, Will Rogers says that America is the only country that goes to the poorhouse in an automobile. Uh, and so, um you know, there are, in a sense it's relative, but those, those kinds of ways of talking do mean something. Um <clears throat> and I think that you know, one of the things that uh we have to keep in mind is that they that uh if we start at that level, if we in a sense work from that, we can say, well, we do have some understanding of what it means to be rich and what it means to be poor. Now, one of the things you'll notice in Luke chapter six, verse 38, is this principle of a hand, of an open hand to the poor. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. And good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be uh, put in your bosom. For with the same measure, use it, it will be measured back to you. So we have this idea of generosity, of being, of having an open hand to the poor. But also Jesus uh, talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Um, In the parable of the sower, he talks about. And in Luke chapter eight, he talks about the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, with riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. So riches are are um, are something that can choke out um, our relationship with God. Uh, and they often do. If we pursue that, that's that's going to be thing. And then in Luke chapter 11, verse three, uh, Jesus uh teaches us in the lord's prayer he says one of the petitions we're to give is uh, is uh, is to make is to give us this day our daily bread, and so there's this idea of trusting in God uh, for our economic security. Uh, Lord, give us our daily bread uh, there we have the idea of not laying up treasures but asking God for what we need right now. then in Luke chapter twelve uh we have a Warning of we have a warning against covetousness. Um, and again, what is that? It? Uh, is, it's an eagerness for gain, a desiring of for more, wanting a greater share. Um, and why do we want more? What is the motivation? I think oftentimes the motivation is security. We feel so if we lay up uh, enough that we'll have. Have security. Uh, sometimes people want uh, want our covetous because they want power. They want the power that that comes with it. Uh, and you know, we can certainly see in our society today there are people who have amassed huge sums of money. And they then, therefore, assume because of that, because of that economic power that they have, that people should listen to them and I think this goes on in a smaller way, even in our own communities, where people who are well off and who are are uh um, that more economic means really do expect that that's kind of a marker of of uh success it 's a marker of perhaps uh um uh good management it's a marker of uh maybe some better wisdom or what and so they often expect to be to be paid attention to and to be listened to and i think it's often a, a we often do um and we have this um this idea of in in Luke about uh, i mean the story about the parable that jesus told about the person who who is, uh, building, uh, building, wanting to build a bigger barn? And, uh, uh, and the idea is, you know, I've done this, I'm going to take my ease and so on after having amassed this huge amount of sun. Some, and what does Jesus say? Um He says to them that you're a fool. Okay? He says, fool, this night your soul so required of you. And then those, who, then whose will these things be which you have provided? One of the things that I'm really kind of, uh, struck by uh, is how many times we see somebody amassing a huge sum of money and they die and there is that pile. And then what do their, what do their children, what do their, what do their heirs do with it? Um, uh, you know, do they even use it in the way that that, that person would, would want to see? Um, now. The, um. Jesus uh one of the things that I've talked about is that Jesus is saying that that um I mean one of the things I talked about why people mass uh amass um, uh, a amass, amass large uh, sums has to do with security. Uh and I just want to remind remind us what Jesus said. Um he says and Luke, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor weep, which neither have, have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Or how much more value are than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, could add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least... Why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But then God so clothes the grass, which today is, the, is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will you clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need these things. Okay. So what are we supposed to do instead? But Jesus says we're to seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell what you have, give alms, provide yourself money bags, which you not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there. Your heart will be also. So I just want you to notice uh, the three things that Jesus says here we're to do. Instead of piling uh, piles up, we're to seek the kingdom of God, we're to give alms and we're to provide a treasure in heaven. And I want you to note here, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also not where your heart is. There is your treasure. And again, I think we try to. Um, make, uh, we, we, we try to flip this around. Oftentimes said, so, well, you know, I have this big pal, my heart's really not in it. And so on, my heart's really w- with the Lord and so on. Well, Jesus is very clear. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, and, but we want to flip that and say, where your heart is, so there your treasure is, and we make an interior. And one of the things I think that, uh, sometimes we have to, uh, keep, we have to keep in mind is, that, uh, the truth of, the truth of the fact that Jesus is trying to address the heart issue and so on can sometimes be, uh, can sometimes be corrupted or can some, sometimes that idea can sometimes be, um, uh, misunderstood to think, well, it's just simply a matter of the heart and what I do doesn't matter or, you know, really what matters is what's in my heart. Uh, no, G- well, I think what Jesus came to do is to line up our hearts so that we do that uh, our hearts are right, but also that it results in us doing what is acceptable to Him and, and pleasing to Him and living in a just and, and equitable way in our world around us. Um and then, Je- so Jesus told us this story in, in Matt, uh, we have this incident in, in uh, Luke chapter 16 where uh, Jesus, uh, uh, it had this thing, excuse uh, me, I'm, I'm running ahead of myself here. We do have this, this is a story in Luke uh, chapter 16, 1 to 18, where, uh, eight, chapter 18 is when we get to this story. There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his good. So they called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. For you can no longer be a steward. Then the store said to him within himself, what should I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I resolved to, to do. Um, so uh, when I put out a stewardship, um, that they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his masters, debtors to him, and said to him first, how much do you owe your your master? And so he goes to the and he cuts the thing down. And Jesus says here, um, so the master condemned the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can t- serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, you know, the story that Jesus tells is an interesting story. Um, and like one of the things we have to keep in mind about parables is that the, the story, it's not necessarily an allegory. In which every part of the story has uh, some meaning and so on. Sometimes the story is just, uh, the story is there, uh, and the details are kind of the flesh out the story to make the story work. But there's a, there's one basic point that's, that's that's, uh, Jesus is trying to make. And that is that when it comes to our economic affairs, we should think about, are we conducting our lives in such a way that we are, uh, we are making friends for ourselves with our unrighteous mammon? Okay. Um, I mean I think oftentimes of the 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 impact that generosity can have in people's lives when they're recipients of generosity uh from our church communities and so on, and things like CAM. What kind of impact does that have? How does that open up? Uh, people's receptiveness to the gospel and, and, uh, to what we have to say. And so in that sense, we're use we can use this unrighteous mammon to buy friends for ourselves. All right. And Jesus says, if you use this, uh, quote unquote, unrighteous mammon, uh, the, this money you have, these uh, riches and so on, uh, for my, my kingdom, um, uh, then if, if you use it in the way that I intended you to use it. All right. Um, then more will be given to you. All right. Uh sometimes I wonder is the is the uh lack of spiritual uh vitality and so on in our communities, is it because uh we're piling too much up for ourselves and we're not using it in the way God wants us to use it? Um, you know, we do have some economic power. How are we using that? And I think it's a very important thing. But Jesus says here that you cannot serve two masters. You have uh you'll be loyal to one. You'll despise the other. You can't serve God and man, mammon. And so how is it determined how well, which one you serve? Well, it's it's determined by how you use the unrighteous mammon that's been in your in your possession. Um Are we using it to secure our to use it to secure our heavenly home? Uh And if you use it for other purposes, how will God give you the true riches? Now, then we go to Luke chapter 18. The story of the rich young ruler. Um, I'm not going to read through it. I think the story is is um is very uh well known to us. But this young man comes and he wants eternal life. And Jesus tells him, Well, you should uh you should uh sell sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the young man couldn't handle that one. He turned away, uh he became very sorrowful because he was very rich. This would be an incredible sacrifice for him. And Jesus says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you know, there I don't know, probably you have all read here that with Jesus, there was this, there's this place in Jerusalem, which um, is a little low door, and they call it the eye of the needle. It's in a wall, and for a camel to get through it. He has to unload itself, hunker down and sure, uh, scrooge into it and so on. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Um, that's, you know, that's, uh, an invention. Uh, I made, there may be a, uh, uh, um, a, a, door or, uh, entryway into, to a wall there in Jerusalem. But, uh, my understanding is that is a wall that was built like in the middle ages and wasn't around when Jesus was around and probably something that, that some, um, Arab guide told somebody in the 19th century when Europeans were starting to um, uh, tour around in the Holy Land and it got put in somebody's commentary. Um, and so anyhow, uh, I think Jesus is talking here about, you know, the the comparison he's making is to a, a sewing needle and a camel. You can't get them through. It's impossible. Well, the disciples say, well, then who can be saved? Um, and Jesus says the things which are possible with men are possible with God. And I think he's talking here about the fact that uh, it is possible for a rich young ruler to, this young man did not, but it is possible for a rich young ruler to obey what Jesus has to say. And to give up everything and come follow him. And the disciples said, well, Lord, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus said, I assured, I said to you that no one has left houses or parents or brothers or wives or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present age and in the age to come. All right. Now, one of the things I think also that we want to. Do with this passage is say, well, this is what this rich young ruler's problem was. And so it's not a universal application. Well, Jesus does make it universal when he says that it's impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He wasn't just talking about this young man. All right. He was talking about rich in general. And it's a very sobering warning wo- for us. All right. Now, uh, in Luke, um, Luke 21, 1 to 4, Jesus says uh, when he saw it's another instant, in which, um, He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the treasury, they're in the temple, and he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. One of the things I hear people say, well, if we don't have rich people, how are we going to get done the things that we need done? They're the ones who actually provide the money. Well, I, I think Jesus is telling us here that you know He can do more with this widow's poor uh, two mites than He can do with the riches of, of you know, uh, than with the riches of rich people with what the rich people put in. So I don't think that Jesus is really dependent upon the rich to get His work done, to in a sense to to subsidize it or to finance it. Okay, so that's the teaching Jesus is teaching in the. Um, in, uh, in the gospel of Luke, let's then look at the practice of the early church um, in Acts 2 for uh, 46 and in Acts 4, 33, 37. Uh, we have after the preaching of the gospel and people being baptized and so on. It ha- uh, says that. Not all not all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and good and divided them among all as anyone had need um, and. Uh, a similar thing is is said in Luke 4, I mean, excuse me, Acts 4. One of the things I want you to notice, what I want you to notice here is they sold their possessions and goods. They divided them as they had, as any had need, and they did it voluntarily. Now, one of the things that's interesting is, is that people uh, say, well, you know, this was not continued on, this practice here. Well, that's because when they look at this word, have all things in common, um they people almost immediately begin to think of something like the Hutterites who lived together in a community where the means of production are managed by the community as well as the the consumption, so you have production and consumption all being communal and uh and so uh they don't see that continuing on in the early church. Uh, and so they say, well, this is just something for this particular period. But I'd like to argue that's not what is happening here uh, and that what is happening here is actually something that did continue on in the early church and other places. All right. I don't think that we're having a communal society here, in which the means of production are are controlled and as well as the means of distribution. But what we have here is a voluntary uh, selling of possessions and goods, uh, and dividing them, uh, to those who had need. And I think that when it talks about those who had lands or houses, uh, sold them, uh, I don't think that Jesus, that what we have here is people, uh, selling out the houses that they, le- that they, the house that they live in or the land that they're making their living from, but they're getting rid of their extra stuff. They're getting rid of other houses that they might have or uh, more land than the land that they don't actually need to provide for their living. And so they're, they're getting rid of that. They're selling it and they're using the proceeds for the, for the kingdom of God. Again, it's kind of the idea. Well, what are you doing? You're getting rid of, you're getting rid of your excess. You're distri- you're redistributing it uh, to those who have need. All right. Now, the reason why I think that this is an ongoing practice is because we see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, in which, uh, Paul is given instructions about, uh, the collection that's supposed to be taken up. Uh, and, uh, for the poor in Jerusalem, they've had a famine and he gives them instructions that they are to, uh, prepare this, this, uh, gift. But this is what he says, um, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. that as you have all sufficiency and all things may have an abundance for every good work. That's my friend John D. Martin's favorite passage. But I want you to notice that this passage is in the context of our generosity toward toward others. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food supply and multiply the seed you have sown, increase the fruits of your righteousness. Well, you're enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God and for the administration of the service, not only supplies the needs of the saint, but is also abounding through many thanksgiving. Well, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God. For the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, we long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. So the thing I want you to notice here is the kingdom of God is for the poor. The rich can hardly enter it except they give up their riches. Covetous accumulating stores is foolish. God expects us to be generous. God expects us to trust in him. We should have a good sense to use our riches for our spiritual benefit. God doesn't need the rich to get his kingdom work done. Uh, God causes people to hold all things in common, which they don't say this is mine. It's something I can clutch to myself. But it's actually thing. It's what, what I have is to be used to help others. And there's a redistribution. Here we see, again, a redistribution. And uh, Paul says that he doesn't want you not to have. Not to have enough. But again, it's kind of that idea in Proverbs uh, where where uh, it, it says, you know, Lord, uh, don't make me rich that I forget you. Don't make me poor that I curse you, but just give me enough. That's kind of the idea that we have here. All right. That's what I have to share for this, this morning.
1: Thank you, brother. Uh, for. Did I, did I
0: stay in my time?
1: yeah you did quite we did very well um thank you for condensing those four talks into one talk this morning i think um there's a lot there and you covered a lot of ground so god bless you for that um i think we'd have done well to stretch this into four different talks just to get to i
0: would have meant i would have had to get up uh four mornings Saturday yeah. mornings. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah.
0: Well, that would have really stretched me. <laughs> it would have. It would have. There's a you week The nice break thing in is, if them. I ever want to listen to any of these things, I can always uh, go online and listen to them. That's too. true. I have. There's, I have on occasion done that. Yeah. I guess there's I'll a week the break action. in
1: between, so you could have got a, a week of rest in between.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you okay, for
1: packing it in here this morning. Um, I know I have a, a list of questions, so we're going to open it up for questions and discussion um, this morning.
2: So have your questions ready. Um, it's obvious that this doesn't just am- impact
1: every aspect of our lives, but it also impacts our perception of God and uh, so many little details of how we view the things that we have and how we handle them and our relationships with each other. And uh, so it is quite something. And, something that has blessed me numerous times in thinking about this topic. And that is the care God has for the poor Mm -hmm. all the way through the old Testament, um, his provisions in the old covenant for the poor. I mean, it really, really shows the heart of God for those who, um, just don't have as much, I guess, and are more dependent on him. I think it's a dependency thing as well with that. Um, One question I have is, how would you define stewardship in light of kingdom economics? The reason I ask that is we've heard a lot about stewardship. Um, but sometimes to me, it almost seems like it becomes, uh, anyway, I'll let, I'll let you answer that question.
0: Well, I think that stewardship has the idea of being careful. Right um with with what you have using it carefully uh, and i think that's that's a good that's a good a I, I good thing to keep in mind that we are to use our economic means and our economic power in a careful way mm-hmm. um you know we're not to waste it foolishly um and i think that has the idea that you know, that we're not spending a lot of stuff, a lot of unnecessary stuff on ourselves. We're not, uh, raising our standard of living, um, and so on, um, it has that idea to it. Um, I think, uh, you know, like any good idea, people can do curious and, uh, wicked things with it. Uh, sometimes it can be used in a backhanded way as a justification, as a justification for what I think amounts to simply selfishness. Uh, and also the idea that, you know, you, uh, that, um, you know, you, it could add as a justification for accumulating, uh, which Jesus tells us we're not supposed to do. Um, you know, so I think that, um, stewardship is a good thing. Uh, but part of stewardship is using, um, the resources God has given us. And this the thing we have to always keep in mind. When we talk about stewardship, we're talking about uh, taking care of something that God has given us. Um, but, you know, one of the things, main things that Jesus says, uh, in, I forgot to mention that Paul talks about two reasons why, uh, uh, two, uh, two reasons that he says you're to work for your living. Okay. And the two reasons are is to provide for yourself and to give to the poor. All right. That's stewardship to provide for yourself your basic needs um, and a reasonable level of comfort, I think, um, and to give to the poor. Those are the two reasons. That's stewardship.
1: Thank you. Um, I think we've all seen where stewardship. Well, it's just good stewardship. You know, you've heard that slapped on a lot of things that ended up being um, other things, selfish reasons for for doing what they're doing. Um, so there's something you touched on there that in that answer that I've been amazed at is how we naturally increase our level of living based on, you know, how well we're doing, I guess. Um, standard of living tends to creep up with the income increase or if as times get better, it seems like the standard of living creeps up. And the real challenge is to keep the standard of living, you know, as if, you know, nothing has changed and mm-hmm. I've been blessed by John Wesley's life where he set his, set his income at X amount of dollars, regardless of how well he was doing. And the rest of it just meant that, well, he had more to give mm-hmm. if it was over and above that, um, is a good example. So any
2: of you, um, have questions or comments for brother Edsel? maybe while you're uh thinking about that
1: there's a question a brother had um, shared with me uh about a year ago i would say and he just said you know jesus says lay up or don't let her lay don't lay up treasure on earth but lay up treasure in heaven how do we lay up treasure in heaven
0: well i think that uh, in the context of the passage there that it has to do with giving alms mhm um it's it has to be with being generous to the poor, to those who are, who are in need. That's how we lay up treasures in heaven. Um, you know, I mean, that's the context of it. Um, and so that's, I think what we have to do, we have to have that open hand, um, to the poor, to those who are in need. You know, I think to me, one of the things, you know, that, um, and, and, you know, we have, we have really actually good mechanisms to do that. Um, uh we have CAM i mean we can just give more money to CAM they're doing a good work they're helping the poor they're helping those who are hungry we just give more money and and you know a lot of money goes through there but it, there's still there's still lots more that we could be doing and and i think about that how much more could we be reducing our our consumption on ourselves, our standard of living to help those who's, who don't even have some of the basic necessities mm-hmm. of life. Um, so I think that's that's uh, one thing. The other thing, though, I think is, is that we need to be personally open to circumstances and to things. Um, one of the things uh, a number uh, a number of years ago, this uh, and I shared one of my messages is that that was really kind of. of um a real turning point is when I was 19 years old, I was in England for a studies uh, semester abroad, I had gone to um, a, a large church that Sunday morning and I came out and there were all these beggars around at the um, outside of the church and and. Uh, you know, I know they were there. They thought, well, these people coming out of church are going to be a soft touch. And so I had this one man come up to me. He was kind of a middle aged man. So, and he was a bum, essentially. He's probably a rummy, an alcoholic or whatever. And he asked me, can you give me 50 bob, please? And I said, no. And I mean, I, I just I just turned him aside and walked, started walking down the, the street the sidewalk. And he started following me and he started cursing me. And so on. And I felt it was, it was a fear, a fearful thing. I was, what's this man going to do to me? But I also felt convicted. I felt convicted. I didn't do what Jesus told me to do, which was I should have given him something. Now, of course, we get into the whole thing. Well, what are they going to do with it? You know, well, maybe he'll just go buy some booze or maybe he'll go buy some uh yes. cocaine he's not going to use it in a right way um and so on but you know i'm not responsible for what people do with with my generosity mm. um and if if you think about it if jesus uh husband everything up if he's always asking himself well what are they going to do with what I give them okay well the fact of the matter is is that most of us most people do not reject I mean, misuse what God has given them. Um, I mean, he's, he paid the price for our sins. Most people simply reject that. Uh, did that keep him from coming and doing it? No, it didn't. Um, and so the, the burden we, and we cannot control that. Uh, I had a friend when we lived in Philadelphia, uh, there was a local, there was a man on our street who he, he again, he was, he was an alcoholic and so on. And he came to my friend and he said, would you give me some money? I need to buy some groceries and and so on. And my friend said, well, I'm not going to give you money, but I will give you some groceries. And so he took him to the grocery store. They got a couple bags of groceries and so on, went back home and so on. And later that day, my friend saw this man uh, carrying these two bags of groceries over to the local bar and exchanging them for some booze. Mm. Okay. Well, he tried to control the situation. We just mm. have to accept the fact that in the end, we can't control. Mm. Okay. But if we, are we going to say we can't control it? And, and as a consequence, um, you know, we're not going to be generous. I remember my father-in-law saying to me a number of years ago, this is like 25 years ago, he's still living. Uh, my father-in-law was not Mennonite, but he, he had heard that you know that, and I don't know if it was true or not, but he had heard that some of m c c s canned meat had gotten to the North Korean Army, and they were eating this canned meat. He just thought this was an awful thing, and um and I thought, well, it got there somehow or another, you know mm-hmm. that's probably not where it was meant to go, but does that mean that m c c was stopped supposed to stop distributing canned meat to people that they thought needed it, okay um and so, no, it doesn't. So we aren't going to be able to control it, everything. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be careful and think about, you know, we do want to, we do what we do to be maximized and everything as much as we can. But we can't control what people do with our generosity. But that can't stop us from being generous. Yeah. And so now, when I go someplace, um, I don't carry a lot of cash on me. Um, but like when I go to, to the, to like Washington DC or something like that, there's always people there begging. I give them something.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: you know what? I always, you know what they almost always say to me? God bless you. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing I have to keep in mind, particularly when I see, uh, some of those beggars, probably most of them are mentally ill. Um, they are, they are the poor. Um, they've probably had experiences in their life that are, have not been good and if somehow or another my giving them a couple bucks is a, a means by which they think somebody cares about them uh god loves them and i all they always say god bless you and i do feel blessed when i do that and i feel like i'm doing doing god's will
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's right i feel like some uh in my own experience if i've if i've held back it if I drill down on it, it's usually a place of self-righteousness or where I've elevated myself in a position of, you know, I have it. So I'm going to be careful how I give it to you. And so I can pass a judgment on your life. Are you going to use it properly instead of just a humble servant attitude that what I have is God's and he's asked me to give it to the poor and to have more of a, a tendency to give than to hold on to it. Um, I dropped some money into a cup here a few days ago and I said, uh, that Jesus Christ loves him. And he looked at me with a huge smile and he says, hey, he loves you too. And it was
2: actually quite a blessing. Yeah.
3: Many of you okay. brothers have, go ahead, brother. <clears throat> Thank you, uh, brother. Edsel, for taking us on this journey through scripture this morning. Uh, I just find it, find it, uh, inspiring and challenging. Um, and it's so amazing. The difference between somebody with a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset, Mm -hmm. I think as followers of Jesus, I mean, that's people should just know us as somebody who just has this abundance mindset. Like, you know, Jesus Christ is our, is our King and, and he's in control of everything. Um, and he loves a cheerful giver. Uh, you have received freely give. Um, and I think all of us know of people who've been around who just have that mentality and it's, it's really inspiring. Um, but I just have a, I wrestle though with, 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 with several things in this whole conversation. And that is, um, so it can be easy, you know, to just kind of give her money. To Cam, as you suggest, and maybe as as a way, and I I think that that can be a good way. Um, can that be like an application of responsibility when it comes to really? Uh, I think God is calling us to to steward our our resources first locally, right? So within the brotherhood, mm-hmm. do good to uh, do, do do good to others, especially those of the household of faith, and and then discussing that. So household of faith and then even local, um, you begin to realize then too, there's these chronic poverty issues where there's just been generations of dependency. and um, uh, so there's, there's chronic poverty. Of course there's, there's critical too. If someone has a fire, you know, they, they need shelter. So you kind of have the critical issues, which are pretty easy, uh, but then, then you have the chronic issues. And I think, isn't it sometimes, those are some of the hardest things to respond to uh, and to know how to help. And money, just putting, throwing money at the sick, at a chronic needs isn't going to, it, it just is not going to help that situation. And I think about how um, some of us, so many of us are, are so greedy with our time. Um, sometimes we we use the word time as money. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. Um, is, is there something like in the economics of the kingdom of God of thinking of, of just your time as, as, as money? I I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of, uh, thinking out loud here with, uh, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. I mean, what you're, what you're talking about is, I think what you're talking about is, you know, what sometimes we, we talk about investing ourselves in people's lives, um, one of the things I do think we have often have to think is that how much we are um, the recipients of other people's generosity. Um, you know, the fact of the matter that you may have been raised in a home where you were taught to work, you were taught to be careful. Um, and so on. you didn't, uh, uh you, you were, in a sense, you were given this, this, uh the, these, these things and they have stood you in good stead and you want to pass them on to, you know your children or the people around you there are some people for whom that was not the case um and so there we talk- that is what we sometimes refer to as social capital um and if you you have a lot of social capital uh that stands you good said may even uh, be very uh it's often very helpful to uh, for the accumulation of of economic capital um and so, what do you do when you're working with some people who don't have a lot of social capital mm-hmm. um, and um and it results sometimes in them not having the you know not not economically being in a stable situation and so on well you're so you're dealing with what you call chronic and then you deal with what's what's acute uh chronic is um i mean um you know, what, what you, I mean, whatever, the, the immediate need needs to be addressed. You know, if they don't have enough to live on, if they don't have enough food, if they, whatever, then somehow or another they, that needs to be addressed. But then you, then you also need to move into, um, into, to giving in them a sense that social capital or those, uh, personal, uh, resources, um, uh, so that they can actually become so, somewhat self-sufficient. And that that involves teaching. And, you know, and again, if we think about CAM, one of the things that CAM has moved into um, is from, quote unquote, relief, addressing immediate acute situations to more development kind of things. That's a very common thing that all aid organizations eventually they start out as relief organizations uh, addressing acute issues and then dealing then with more structural issues. Uh, trying to, in a sense, equip people to provide for themselves and then, and and that's what we have to do do cam does it on like an institutional kind of way, but we also need to when the people that we're working with that we're encountering and so on we need to to um uh help them with that too and that does take time and it doesn't all work um, and because your people Sometimes, uh, even though they don't have, they're, they're still not willing to learn or maybe they're, um, their feelings, uh, none of us really like to be corrected. Um, that's not a pleasant experience. Uh, so sometimes it, it doesn't work, but still Jesus calls us to do that. Um, but certainly like on the local level, I mean, I would say that, you know, primarily, uh, as far as, you know, I think about our congregation, um, in the resources we have, much of our, much of our sharing is done very much on a local level. Um, one of the things that we, and I've many of our, your congregations are this way too, but one of the things that we do assume is that, you know, we are going to help each other with, with medical bills. And I would say over the course of our congregation's history that we have we have spent more money on medical bills than on any other item over the years. Uh They're expensive and it's very hard for people to handle them on their own. And, so on. and it's not, it's work. We've always been able to, and we paid some ferocious, large medical bills uh, and we've always been able to, to do that. Um, and God has blessed us. But, you know, in the end, none of us have enough. Uh, we don't have, enough resources to cover every contingency uh my our first bishop lynn martin used to say we just we don't have we, we there there we don't have enough to take care of everything in the end we're going to have to rely on god um and trust in him and i think if we i think if we are obedient to what god has said that he has said you know i will i will take care of you um and um now that's not the, that's not the same thing as we, as the prosperity gospel that's being really touted, touted in many places. One of the things that's interesting to me is how prevalent the prosperity gospel is in places like Africa where people don't have a lot and I always wonder <laughs> how that really works. I have a feeling that, uh, but nonetheless it's very, very popular. Um, so go ahead, I'm not sure if that really addresses what you're talking about, but yes, investing ourselves in people's lives is is very important in helping them to become in a sense uh in a sense self sufficient uh in in the in a sense of being able to to handle their to manage their own lives in a good way i think is is the task that's before us
3: sure um yeah, thank you for sharing that you know as largely anabaptists have have are have incredible economic means uh, and it's because we're hardworking and what if we would, you know, and I think sometimes it's, we feel like we're driven. We, we have to have, you know, this big of a property. We have to have this, we have to have, you know, all these things and that scarcity mindset, that fearful mindset that we've allowed the world to give us, then, um, just really, um, limits us in how much we can actually serve those around us where if we would take, you know, a a little bit of risk, um, it's amazing maybe what, how God could provide for us and how much more we could do at a local level. Um, so yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing. Yeah.
2: That is a thought that I had, um, in regards to this and you touched on it there. It's always,
1: Maybe we should be quicker to realize that we need to, re- we need to rely on God. Um, Jesus brought that out in Matthew when he said, consider the lilies. Let's remember who we serve and who holds all things in the, uh, in the choices we make in the, in, in regards to this, to giving and to, um, investing in the kingdom or investing in our, um, laying up treasure in heaven, which is, another way of investing in heaven, basically um, making sure that that's where our installments are going. Um, it's helped me to think about that in regards to every aspect of life. How does this invest in the kingdom of heaven? How does this purchase going to invest? What is the, what is the, uh, I guess the interest I'm going to gain on this. Is it here in this world now for myself or is it in the kingdom of heaven? Mm-hmm. Um, unless does someone else have any comments or questions, we're coming to the end of our time here or at it.
0: Can I ask a question?
1: Um, Go
2: ahead.
0: Edsel, can you explain? Yes, Patrick, hello. I was trying to hide. Um, Can you talk about the investment that the churches in Chambersburg are making in the room quickly? Oh, yeah. Well, um, one of the things that – one of the things I'm involved in is the thing w- we call it the room and uh, it's, um, we use the uh, basement of Chambersburg Christian Fellowship. Um, and it's a very simple kind of thing. Um, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, we open around 4.30. It's a place for people to come and sit and be safe. We have, have coffee and tea and then uh, there's a meal. There's uh, a short devotion and so on like that. Uh And it's it's just really it, I would say, basically, it's a place where we can can show people the love of Christ. And most of the people who come, I would say, are people that are on the margins um, of economically, um, lots of people who have mental health issues and so on. Um, so that's been. Uh, I, I got involved, I mean, we, we helped out, you know, on an occasional basis before, but about two years ago, I got involved in a more concrete way and, um, a regular way going in on Fridays. And I think, you know, I don't know, have we seen anybody converted? I'm not sure, um, there, uh, but one of the things I was struck about was, a discussion we had about a year ago. What's the purpose of it? And, and the overall thing is that we were, we weren't going to look at results. We weren't going to be result oriented. We're talking about here. What, what's our purpose? And the purpose is to show the love of Christ to these people. Um, and, and I think it's been, it's been very good for us. Um, I'm really blessed by, it. we have a, a group of young people who are helping with it. Uh, this started out as a ministry of Shippensburg and Chambersburg and St. Thomas Christian Fellowship, but now we have people involved from other, um Mennonite uh, churches in our area who are really, um, uh, who are helping out and coming in and, you know, providing meals and stuff like that. In that sense, it's been a real, um, you know, we, we have umpteen different kinds of plain people in this valley. Um, and, you know this has been kind of an interesting um place of intersection and cooperation in a in a you know on uno- a unofficial kind of way, which has really been a blessing. I don't know if this that enough patrick and I would say it is very much uh which is close to patrick's heart uh matthew twenty five ministry
2: So mostly what I was thinking is you were talking about doing things without expecting results. Mm -hmm. And that's a practical example of it in our little
0: community. Because I remember having conversations with people and they said, where are the results? And I remember at one of the first board meetings with Shippensburg and I said, the results are in us by doing it daily. And
2: not getting anything, so that's the only reason I brought that up. yeah I think that's a that's a good point. Um, the fruit is in your lives for your service, all right, I think we're going to wrap up here. Uh, thank
1: you very much, Edzel, for coming on this morning for uh, sacrificing your uh, Saturday morning for our edification. It was a light
0: affliction. (laughs) Praise the Lord.
1: We really appreciate it. And um, thank you for the reminders in this to to depend on God daily. I mean, we say the Lord's Prayer quite often, and it's a good reminder. I mean, this is a daily dependency. That's where God wants us, and I feel like that's why he – cares about the poor is because they, they are dependent and we are to be dependent, whether we have more or less, we still are to be dependent on our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. So thank you for the challenges and for the teaching. Um, God be with you as you serve there um, in your community, in your different capacities. And as you seek to glorify the Lord and expand the kingdom there, God bless you. Each one of you who joined us this morning, um, I assume that you have been as blessed as I have in this. And uh before we go, we don't have a meeting next Saturday. It's off Saturday. But the following one, May 7th, we're going to hear from Bryant on hospitality worthy of a Jesus embassy. So come um May 7th with your hearts ready to hear more about the kingdom of heaven and its effect on our homes and how we open up our homes to the world around us. Brother Edsel, would you close us in prayer?
0: Sure. Let's pray. Dear father, we thank you for this day and for your kindness and generosity to us, particularly in what Jesus has done for us through his death and his suffering. And that by his, by his um, stripes, we are healed. Lord, um, we thank you for, for your willingness to pour out yourself for us and just ask that we might do the same thing for our fellow man that we would use the resources that you give us uh, whether it's our social capital or our economic capital to further your kingdom in jesus name we pray amen amen okay farewell
1: farewell god be with you all
0: grace and peace As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.